Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Health Nuts podcast with certified holistic nutrition consultants, Mary Vance and Caitlin Weeks. Our goal is to dispel mainstream nutrition myths and bring you the best in holistic health and real food education. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Mary. How are you today? Doing good. Just sipping on a mug of bone broth from my local San Francisco delivery broth hookup, which is always (laughs) nice. Because I, I can never get my broth to gel, but I put um, a bunch of sea salt and turmeric in it, so I'm enjoying that today. Yum. How about you? Uh, I just ate a dark chocolate bar to rev up for this. <laughs> well, that's good. That that boosts your libido, doesn't it? <laughs> sure. So yeah, we have a special guest today. Is uh, Stephanie Ruper. She's going to talk to us about getting our sex drive up since Valentine's Day is around the corner. Because that's that's the only time anyone can ever have sex on Valentine's Day. Right. And <laughs> but that's the only time it's important to be romantic. Get in the mood. <laughs> so we wanted to have her on because me and Mary have talked with lots of women and about how um they they lack sex drive and, you know, would much rather do, you know, knitting or something else. So we'll um we'll get into that in a minute. But first let me read our disclaimer. The only purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. It is no substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical advice or services. Instead, we encourage you to discuss your health with a licensed provider. Caitlin Weeks and Mary Vance assume no liability for any activities in connection with this podcast. So you can find us on Facebook at Caitlin is at Grassfed Girl. So Facebook slash Grassfed Girl and Mary Vance is Facebook slash Mary Vance Nutrition Consultant. And um, what's new on your blog, Mary? Well, speaking of our timely topic, I have some tips that I just put up on how to boost libido and how to address hormone imbalances that can lead to decreased sex drive and foods to improve libido. So that's up there. And also kind of topically, I wrote a post called Things I Wish I Could Tell My 20-something Self About Food and Body Image. And it just is kind of a, now that I'm well into my 30s, it's kind of a, a post about life lessons I've accrued and wish that I knew and that I could tell my younger self. So that got a lot of good feedback. Um, so what about you? I... Have I wrote a post about, well, I have a new post about how to re- heal your leaky gut. So five ways to heal your leaky gut. So the top five ways. So that's been pretty popular. And then I have an appetizer. Um, it's called beef brazola with goat, goat cheese and artichoke hearts. So that sounds awesome. You, it's my husband used to work at this little cafe next to our house when he was in chef school, and it was a recipe they had there. And they use prosciutto, so of course you can if you want to. But I found this beef brazola that I like, and you, so you just have the artichoke hearts. You can use the, you know, the canned ones, but um, try to get ones without a lot of additives or anything. And then you just put the wrap the beef brazola around it, put the goat cheese on the top heat it up, and then you make like a pesto sauce and put over it. So it's a really fun, like appetizer, tapas. It looks really fancy. So everybody can make that and impress your 
your Valentine date. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. And uh, you can find Caitlin at grassfedgirl.com, and I'm Mary Vance NC, like nutritionconsultant.com. So I, huh, I need an idea for Friday dinner, so maybe that's a good one. I'll go check that out. Yeah, I mean, it really full. it's pretty filling. I mean, you could make it just as a whole meal. Cool. Um, so. Well, yeah, I, uh, I just wanted to chime in really quickly before we get started and talk about Stephanie and say hi to her that I'm really glad we're doing this podcast because, you know, specializing in women's health and hormonal balance as one of my focal points, I'm seeing so many women that are very young and in their early 20s with just really uh, catastrophic hormone imbalances and that have zero sex drive when that's kind of supposed to be the fun peak of your life at that point. So I'm glad that we're addressing this and it will be fun to talk about. So should we introduce Stephanie? Yeah, well, I met Stephanie when I went to the Western A. Price conference. I think I'd heard her a few times on some podcasts and stuff before that, but I met her last fall at the Western A. Price, well, in 2012, so whatever year this is. Um, and uh sometimes i forget too yeah she's just really cool because she she's really into like accepting yourself and she went through a lot of hard times herself with her health and you know i think she's just somebody that we can all relate to as girls who are in such a you know beautiful you know we're supposed to all be so beautiful and perfect and everything so that really messes with us big time and messes up our health and so she's going to tell us more about her journey and um, I'll read her 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 uh real bio. bio the bio yeah but I was trying to say she has a she has a bio that's like her professional bio and then she has like a real bio so this is her real bio I mean actually her professional bio and then she can do more of her other one. So <laughs> Stephanie Ruber is an equally accomplished, is equally accomplished as an international go-go dancer, an Ivy League chemist, and a nationally renowned eating disorder counselor. She's the host of the first ever body image and self-love podcast, Live, Love, Eat, the author of PCOS Unlocked, the manual, and the author of, the, of Birth Control Unlocked, Your Body, Your Options, Your Guide. Stephanie holds degrees from Dartmouth College and Boston University. She is currently pursuing a PhD in philosophy and dancing obsessively in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So welcome, Stephanie. Hi, Mary. Hi, Caitlin. I love that you're a go-go dancer. That's cool. <laughs> I have been in the past. Um, right now, I'm actually, I do, um, I'm doing a Latin dance. And that takes, if I'm not blogging, that's what I'm doing with my time. And people are like, you blog about sleeplessness all the time. Is it because you're out dancing until 3 a.m. every night? And I'm <laughs> like, well, well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think a, a lot of, especially ballroom dancers I know are up half the night. It can be a, a, quite an hours and hours worth of activity. I can't tell you what I would give for all of the clubs to move dancing up like two or three hours, but they just won't do it. So I'm like, well, all right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I think I remember used to be one of my favorite things to do is dance, but since I got married, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) that's that's a perfect date night. Go out dancing. (laughs) Yeah. We did some square dancing at my sister's wedding. That was pretty fun. (laughs) Okay. 
Uh, so, Stephanie, tell us a little bit more about your background and what kind of brought you to this place today, you know, kind of really researching and writing about women's health and hormone balance and self-image. Sure. Um, so, Mary, I think it was Mary, talked about how so many young women today are in, like, are complete hormonal wrecks and have libido problems on top of so many other problems. And I was, am... Uh, I was one of them. I'm, I'm much better now. But this all started several years ago when I I lost weight dramatically, you know, very quickly. I went from a size like seven or nine-ish at around 140 pounds to a size double zero um, at about 105 pounds in three months. And in doing so, up until that point, I had been like a voraciously sexual human being, you know, and I always, I mean, I hated my body and stuff, but at least I still liked doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and then I, and then when I lost weight and it was a very stressful time for me as well. And, and all of those things, I sort of, I lost my libido, right? I stopped menstruating. So I stopped being fertile. Um, and then I started the paleo diet shortly thereafter. And I was like, well, this is going to fix me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and of course it didn't, right? It, it helped maybe in some other ways, you know, correcting some nutritional deficiencies and such. But it wasn't for another couple of years that I realized that like doing paleo with, you know, whatever, doing healthy natural eating the right way is actually about like <laughs> you should – if you have a choice between over and under eating, I think maybe especially as women, you should overeat, you know, um, focus on nourishment rather than – trying to be skinny. I know that that sounds so simple and so obvious, but it's just not, you know, it's, it's just not apparent to, um, women, especially young women and girls today. So anyway, in all of that time, I researched, you know, this hormone imbalance. I researched, I had horrible acne, you know, I researched that I researched all these different things and I came to learn way more about the female endocrine system than I ever thought, you know, and then I was in a position in which I could actually help people. And I came up with some ideas about PCOS that I think are, you know, if if they're not, they're definitely not common, not even in the natural health world. And they're not talked about. And I don't even know how many people know them in terms of what can cause PCOS and such. So I wrote a book on it and um, I talked to people about it a lot. And even more important than that, of course, is for me teaching women how to, you know, feel comfortable in their skin, no matter what size they are and love your body while it's on its journey and all this you know, all the self-love crap that I actually really love a lot. (laughs) Well, you know, some people think it's cliche and whatever, but I think we can never hear it enough because the negative messages are so overwhelmingly out there Mm -hmm. and bombarding us every day. So thank you for keeping it in the forefront. Yeah, and, you know, just speaking to what we were mentioning earlier about uh, younger women suffering, you know, these hormone imbalances that are consistent with women in their sixties and seventies. And mm-hmm. it's because from my experience, I'm seeing women wear so many hats and working 12 hours a day and then going home and being parents and having to take care of way, you know, more responsibilities than ever before. It's kind of an unprecedented amount of stress that women are trying to find their place and exactly you know, being career woman and mom and it's causing this. And then that, in addition to the pressure that we put on ourselves in order to, to be the perfect career woman and the perfect mom and, 
and the emotional stressors and the women's endocrine systems are so sensitive and you know all of that together is kind of the perfect storm of you know creating some of these issues for women so uh, and the reason I'm kind of saying this is I've been reading this book called The Way of the Happy Woman for a while now and I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but she does a really good job of kind of talking about how we, you know, reestablishing cycles and paying attention to your inner cycles and not thinking that you have to be working 16 hours a day every day and learning how to kind of honor downtime is really kind of important in, in all of this. So that's my little spiel, but we have a lot of questions for you, Stephanie, that came in, you know, via Facebook and, and just that we want to talk about today. Uh, so just to get started, tell us a little bit about kind of, let's talk about sex drive and what does that even mean and how does it work? Uh, this is funny because you, you just revealed to me that you specialize in this as well. So we'll see if, if I, (laughs) if we actually think the same things. Um, so sex drive is, um, desiring sex. I also think it's important to talk about romance as well because, when hormone levels suffer, the desire to be romantic also suffers and to be attracted to people. That's like, that is just as impossible as the idea of having sex. And so, um, we need to be aware that like our lives can be seriously impacted. Like it's literally, it's not just sex. It's also love that can be hurt by this. So that's a, that's a really big deal. And so I think it's important for everybody to, to have this, you know, whether or no matter what they choose, however they choose to exercise it. Um, and it's also, I think it's interesting. We talk about sex drive a lot in terms of, um, testosterone. And this is partly because male sex drive is driven by testosterone. That's just like, that's it. Like, you know, if you're a guy, you have muscles and you have testosterone and you want to have sex all the time. And that's (laughs) unless you, unless you're suffering, you know, from testosterone issues. And so, um, and with women, we, we tend to talk about testosterone as, as playing a role in, in women's libido as well. And, and it certainly does, you know, like when you ovulate, which is in the middle of your cycle at the beginning of week two ish, um, your testosterone levels spike. And at that time, you also happen to, um, at least in the majority of women have your highest sex drive, right? That makes sense that nature is trying to make you have sex the most when you're the most fertile. Um, so testosterone is implicated, but really the most, you have to have all of the hormones there. You know, estrogen is huge in sex drive and, you know, you can't, you have to have progesterone and your stress hormones can't be too high, you know? So, um, it's, it's sort of all about having hormone balance in general and having a, having a regular cycle. I think that's the most important thing. Um, Oh, scratch that. That's the second most important thing. The first most important thing is having people that you want to have sex or be romantic with (laughs) and, and being, and feeling like you're in a safe space and being comfortable with your body. I mean, you know, they talk about how many women, like huge numbers of women, you know, go decades in their lives without having orgasms or, you know, never want to have sex, yada, yada, you know, all of those things. And a huge component of that is simple discomfort with our bodies and with being sexual beings, which is another part of this, you know, giant oppressive um, culture against women and, and being an empowered woman or embodied woman, I should say. Anyway, it's my general philosophy. So, so tell us, like, I mean, I, I heard when I was studying in school, like, tell us how the one of the things we always learned about was like the pregnenolone steel. Tell us how that comes into play with the 
the sex drive? Great. Yeah. So, um, pregnenolone steel. I'm, it's curious, it's curious to me that it came up with that name because it, it steals everything. So why don't we, why don't we, why don't we call it, call it out for what it does? You know, life, the everything life steal, force steal, the life force steal. Um, when a body is under stress, this happens in both men and women, but again, because women's systems are like so, you know, so primed to detect stress, like it, it's just, it naturally impacts women more. Um, when the body, the body sort of starts producing hormones from like the upper, you know, the very upper rungs of a ladder and it sort of filters down. And at the very top, you have things like cholesterol, which is the backbone of hormones, many most, and you know, all the different chemicals you use to synthesize hormones. And right at the beginning of this process, you have the option of shifting, of producing sex hormones and or producing stress hormones. And in a healthy body, you produce both of these at the same time, you know, and you can sort of balance them well enough. But when you're under stress, especially prolonged stress, the body learns to take all the resources that it would otherwise give to sex hormones and it diverts them towards stress hormones like cortisol and um, DHEAS and that's problematic, A, because cortisol is, is not a good thing to have elevated in your body, period, you know, um, and B, because DHEAS is uh, like it, it's an androgen, which is a, the word for the male sex hormone, and that can contribute to um, sex hormone imbalances even worse, right? So it can cause um, acne and male pattern hair growth and cystic ovaries. So on one hand, you're you're taking away from your ability to produce sex hormones like estrogen and progesterone, and then you're creating stress hormones, which also act as male sex hormones. So you're like really exacerbating the imbalance there, and it can be a, it can be a huge problem with women who um, are struggling with their fertility. I, yeah, I, I, that's a really great and concise way to explain something that's really complicated because I, I spend a lot of time saying that exact thing to many women every day. And it's really that our bodies perceive survival as more important than reproduction when you're kind of in this stress state. And, and just to be clear too, you know, when we think stress, you think, Oh, you know, if I just get my emotional stress under control, I'll be okay. But stress to your body also means, you know, dietary stress. That means Mm -hmm. skipping, skipping meals or eating too much sugar or drinking too much or it yep. means not sleeping enough. It means working too much. So it goes a lot deeper than just emotional stress and even positive stressors too, like having a baby and having your hormones go crazy and your sleep cycles mm-hmm. are off. So, so stress can be more than just, you know, the classic, what we think about as being stressed, but it's all areas of your life from diet to your lifestyle habits that matter too. Absolutely. And I would say even like in terms of emotional stress, you know, the personal life and stuff, that so often, so many people think that they have it right. You know, <laughs> we, I, I honestly, and this is something that I have been so, you know, so guilty of. And you only learn over time. Like you sort of come out of a period in your life and you look back and you're like, holy, like, I thought I was okay. <laughs> right. And so I think that, I think that we need to be very serious about, you know, our lives and, and our work schedules. You know, we, like you said, we can, we can think that we're like, you know, we're happy and we're doing a lot and it feels good to work 12 hours a day, you know, but even if something, even if something seems like it's not affecting you all that negatively, like 
you, you gotta be honest with yourself. You got, you, you gotta know, you gotta know if your needs are being met and if your, if your heart is beating, you know, at the right, like slow tempo most of the time. Wow. Yeah. That's a, a great way to, to phrase that too. Yeah. Lots of good tidbits that we already are touching on. So what do you think over time kind of affects women and their sex drives in terms of the snowballing where it can get worse and worse? Like, how does that kind of manifest? Well, I mean, that's, that's interesting because you can go, it can happen in so many different directions, right? So I could tell a different story for a different woman and how she snowballs and have it be completely different. So you could, um, you know, woman a, um, she, I want to, what's an A name, Amanda, woman A, she, (laughs) she could eat a standard American diet and not the, like the fake healthy kind that, that we know about, like, you know, the, um, the Dr. Oz kind or whatever, but the, (laughs) or, you know, the Tracy Anderson kind, but the, um, the, like the really horrible McDonald's kind, right? So, um, she's going to deal with, you know, inflammation and leaky gut and, those things are going to cause insulin dysregulation, which is going to cause testosterone levels to rise, you know, and she's going to be probably going to be overweight and that's going to cause testosterone levels to rise because insulin directly stimulates testosterone production in your ovaries. And so as a woman, having too much testosterone is like, is a hundred kinds of bad news. You know, you need enough definitely, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's, it's pretty rare that you're, that women suffer from, from low testosterone. The problem is far and away much more common that you have too much testosterone. And so that can sort of beget itself over time, right? Like, I mean, overweight and inflammation and such, like I, those are seriously, you know, hard, intractable problems to overcome. So, you know, that's one snowballing way. And then woman B, um, B, Brittany, um, she <laughs> might, uh, she might have more of a case like mine was, which is, you know, super stressed out. I, you know, and then you like restrict food and you get thin and you think that that's like, you know, healthy or you convince yourself, you know, playing along with society's game is the right thing to do, even though somewhere deep in your brain, you know, it's not. And, um, and then you lose your libido that way. Right. Cause you're, um, you're mostly your sex hormones, you know, they just plummet in this pregnenolone steel that we're talking about. And so, you know, that's another way it can run away with you. And then there are other options, you know, C, uh, Crystal, she could have a thyroid issue, right? And that's intimately tied up with, um, with the other ones, you know, and so they can all sort of overlap in this, you know, intricate way. But in general, right, like any kind, any kind of stress to your body, it can send you in a different direction. And you're just gonna like, I'm picturing like, right now, okay, this is the visual I have in my head. There's like, um, a crowd of women standing on top of a ski slope and they're all like, they're holding on to a bunch of ribbons and then they all like go and they're all like going down the mountain and they're going to end up in different places, but they're not like, they're still connected, you know, and they're, um, it's all, it's the mountain of stress, Mount stress. That's, <laughs> that's a good visual for that. I, too. Have, I have to be honest. That was the most creative I've ever been on a podcast. <laughs> I love it. And so when that is happening, how does self-esteem and confidence come into play? Um, well, I don't, <laughs> obviously it's very challenging, you know? Um, and it's funny because it, it's, it, this is such a hard issue to talk about because 
I um, I recently posted on my blog about how I gained weight, and it was great for my health, um, but it was also very challenging. And I, I went from a size double zero to probably like around a three, you know, I weigh 130 pounds now, solid. And, um, and it was very challenging, but I also understand that a woman who's, you know, 160, 170 pounds and the same height as me can look at me and like, tell me I'm being horribly selfish and short-sighted and I don't, I have no idea what real struggle and real body image issues are. And she's right. You know, like I've never been in her skin. How can I know how she feels? But, um, it's like low self-esteem, just, you know, the women who are restricting are just like restricting and being so unhealthy because they feel, you know, so much fear about how they're going to be judged. And, you know, women who are larger, it doesn't mean that they're a not restricting and b not beating themselves up all the time. And so it's, um, it's very challenging. And then you lose, you start losing things when you lose your libido, when you start getting acne, you know, and you're growing a mustache, like these things happen to women all the time. Like that's, it makes Ooh. it very, it makes it hard to feel like a woman. It's, that's just how it is. And I can tell, I tell women to, you know, like accept your context, accept your story right where you are right now, have compassion for your body. You know, and then you can you can learn how to be embodied in it and to love it. But it's still, like I said, it's still really challenging to feel like a woman when 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 you're out of sync with your body. So, you know, that's a big problem when you feel ugly and your yeah. body's like rebelling against you, and then and then you know your boyfriend doesn't want to do any foreplay, and you know there you go. <laughs> There, absolutely. I mean, there you go. And it's, it's, it's so, it's such a delicate balance and you're right to bring the boyfriend or whomever into this because the people in your life matter so much. And I got to be honest with you, my weight gain, like so much of my ability to accept it came from my interaction with people in the outside world. And I know that that's like, you know, that's taboo or whatever. Like I, I do talk about all the internal things you need to do, but we can't help the fact that other people exist and we want to have positive interactions with them, you know, God forbid. Mm-hmm. So it's challenging. Well, I mean, I think anybody who's been on both sides of it, I mean, you know, I've seen you, I mean, unless you've gained a lot of weight, like you're a really thin person in my book and, um, you know, very, but, but maybe you were extremely, you know, maybe too skinny before, but you look, you know, very healthy and very appropriate size when I saw you. Yeah. Um, and well, actually I was, I was too thin then. Um, oh, okay. for, for me, I mean, I wasn't menstruating when you last met me. So oh, okay. I've, I've put I thought on, you had already turned the corner and like, we're getting healthier. No, that was, that was, um, uh, I hope there's not a whole lot of people listening to this podcast right now. That was a, um, sin of omission. (laughs) (laughs) People were like, oh my goodness, you're so much healthier now. And I was like, well, so about the, you know, about the football game last night. Um, no, cause I, I was healthier by that point. I definitely was. Um, and but I, I also knew that something I could do, another step I could take to get even healthier was to be to put on weight. And I hadn't, I hadn't taken that step yet. Well, I mean, you know, we have 20, 30 years of programming, you know, that it's so, mm-hmm. it takes a long time to get over it and, and to nourish ourselves appropriately when we're so afraid of gaining weight and all that. Um, so, you know, there, there's many phases, so nobody's going to blame you for, 
for not, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you have to go through it at your own pace. Um, so, but I mean, I under, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and stuff before and, you know, there was a point where you were like excessively exercising, probably not eating fat. And I'm sure you were starting, you were on the road to healing when I met you, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, de- I mean, definitely there were, and it's again, like in, in those situations, I was like, no, I'm doing the healthy thing, right? Like I'm exercising an appropriate amount, but you know, 90 minutes, you know, in a sprinting class plus a you know weightlifting exercise every day is like, you know, that's, that's a bit much, especially when you're not really eating, you know, <laughs> it's, it's all, it's all a matter of perspective, right? So. Yeah. So what are some things that people can do to, to work on their, their sex drive and get it back? Good question. Um, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about like specific foods to eat, although I'd love to get your opinion on that. Um, but in terms, in terms of the, the hormone balance thing, right. Um, you know, as, uh, as, you know, health advocates or whatever, I, I, I hate to feel like a broken, I hate to act like a broken record. Um, but anything you can redo, do to restore your hormone balance is going to help a lot. Right. And so think about what you need in your unique position to nourish yourself. Like if you have been on the side of the spectrum in which you've been sort of, you're, you're in hormonal excess, right? Like your testosterone levels are way too high. Your estrogen might be really high because you're overweight and, um, cause estrogen is produced in fat cells as well. And so, um, then you need to think about, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to lose weight? How am I going to sharpen my insulin sensitivity? And the ways to do that are, you know, to, to work on inflammation by eliminating your omega-6s and, you know, thinking about probiotic foods and the gut healing protocol, right? So no grains, legumes, dairy, um, you know, keeping carbohydrates on the lower end, but I never recommend that, you know, well, I rarely recommend that women go, um, low, carb, you know, with a capital L, no low carb, um, exercising, sprinting, lifting weights is huge. It's great. You know? And then on the other hand, if you're kind of hanging out on the other side of the spectrum, you need to like, you need to eat like that's all (laughs) your body, your body wants calories and your, your hypothalamus wants to know that you're eating calories. You know, uh, Julia Ross is the author of the, you know, the mood cure and the diet cure. And she's kind of well known in this world for work that she's done on eating and cravings and hormone balance and such. And she believes pretty firmly that women should be eating at minimum 2,300 calories a day. And when she said that, I was like, whoa, because I'm eating, you know, probably 70% of that at best. So, and that, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily what you should do, but what I'm saying is that like erring on the side of eating more when you're coming from a place of having dieted, you know, yo-yo dieted, exercised a lot. If you're in a place of stress, like eating more rather than less is the answer. And even more like more carbohydrates to sort of help you with your, um, you know, serotonin and dopamine, um, manufacturer, tryptophan, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and then of course there's the thyroid issue. Like you have to have, you have to have a healthy thyroid, you know? And so I think the best way to do that naturally is to just to make sure you eat seafood a lot. Cause there's both selenium and iodine in that. Um, yeah, I, those are my general recommendations. I think I know yeah. I'm missing a lot, but no, those are, uh, 
I mean, the, the really good piece of advice, I think, like you said, is if women are operating at a deficiency standpoint, you know, and I see a lot of women who all they really care about is losing weight, but they're, you know, if their hormone levels are in the toilet, you have to get healthy first before your body will even, you know, regulate your weight, whatever that might be. And it's really hard to change that paradigm of you need to get healthy before you lose weight and think about feeding yourself uh, before really thinking about wanting to look a certain way. Then, so that's really important. And, you know, we can do saliva testing for hormone levels and, and fix that with protocols, but really it comes down to this whole kind of making peace with being healthy and feeding yourself the right foods. Right. So, you know, speaking of, um, you know, getting better, what do you think are behaviors that women do that can kind of contribute to uh, poor sex drive in terms of, of, aside from diet, you know, obviously we talked about standard American diet, but you know, what are kind of some other lifestyle behaviors that kill your libido? Um, waking up in the morning and pinching your fat, I think <laughs> is probably the worst. I'm so, I'm so serious. I can't every single day since I was 11 years old, the first thing I do in the morning is run my hands over my stomach pinch my fat. I still do it. It's, I mean, it's, it's a habit. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I think the, one of the things that I've noticed is like, that is, it's the same thing, but like when you wake up, it's a good idea to just have a moment of gratitude and kind of like not go right into that self mutilation right. thing. Um, to just, you know, not go right into that thought pattern of, oh, you know, I'm my, I'm too big or whatever. And, uh, and, and just try to focus on sometimes I'll even use EFT and, and, you know, pound out the good that like do a gratitude list at the same time. And that will make you focus on, you know, set the right tone for the day. Absolutely. Um, I recently have been doing a lot of writing on, you know, 10 reasons to love your body, all that sort of stuff. And I think it's so important. And on one hand, we can, we can value our bodies for, you know, certain things about the way they look and their physicality, but we can value them for so many other things, you know, like, um, what, what they provide the basis for. I wouldn't be standing here talking to you right now if I didn't have a body, you know, that's pretty incredible. And so EFT, right. EFT, Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's something that I don't have any personal experience with, but I know a lot of women have had, have had really great success. And mostly what I, I mean, I spend most of my time trying to convince, um, other women to love their bodies, but I also know that in, in doing so, I, that's a practice for myself. Right. And, um, it's funny, but we say that a lot of know that a lot of um, health bloggers and self love bloggers and such do it because you know they want to they want to teach themselves the same lessons. And I've been writing a lot recently about you know ten reasons to love your body, right? Like I had to, my uh, publicist made me make a video she really loves, um, and and I talk about these things and they're really, they're really, you know, they're very helpful. You know, you being grateful for things that your body does, right? Like if I, if I didn't have a body, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Like that's, that's pretty cool. And, and it's important to remember how much right there is with our bodies, right? Like we, we focus on the fact, you know, I focus on my ovaries or on my acne and all of that, 
you know, all that stuff. But how many other things are going right in my body at the same time that I'm not paying attention to? And isn't that kind of cool, you know? Um, I, I think more than anything, the most important thing for me for loving my body is remembering, is just knowing how, like, how hard it tries to be healthy. Like, it's not its fault, right? Like, I can't be mad at my body. It's been trying. The only reason it hasn't succeeded or, you know, succeeded to the degree that I would like is that, you know, I, I made some poor choices, but those weren't, I can't necessarily blame myself either because, you know, we're, we're both kind of victims in this. And so, and my body's trying really, really hard to be healthy. And I have to, I'm more excited about that, you know, than I am upset about the fact that it hasn't quite been able to measure up to these huge challenges, right? You know, like a lifetime of eating margarine, like I, I can't blame my body for, um, for not quite being able to be there right now. Right. Like I, that's okay. And it's under a lot of stress. And so I, I have more compassion for it than I have anger these days. Yeah. That's a a great shift in consciousness about it too. And understanding that your body wants to reach equilibrium and be balanced and, you know, understanding that is really important. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, you know, kind of no discussion of sex and libido is complete without talking about birth control. And, you know, I, I also am kind of passionate about trying to educate women on choices around, you know, using natural forms of birth control and, and the implications behind hormonal birth control. So what are kind of your favorite forms of natural birth control? Um, <laughs> funny you should ask. This is a, this is a particularly <laughs> poignant issue in my life right now. My favorite form of national or natural birth control is a vasectomy. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you. Um, this is the vasectomy. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, it's really tricky because there is, there is no perfect form of birth control. And even like, even when you're doing like the ones with the best, you know, the best percentages, um, you're still playing the odds, you know, like that's, just, that's not fun for me. Like I, I, I feel very indignant all of the time. Like there's, there's nothing you can do to, to make it perfectly, you know, safe, you know, perfectly, um, baby free, um, <laughs> safe equals baby free. Um, my favorite, so there's the copper IUD, which I think is great. You know, they're, IUDs are kind of expensive, but, um, the problem there's, a, you know, they definitely prevent pregnancy all of the time. Like they're very safe, baby free safe. Um, <laughs> not the other kind of safe. Ooh. And, um, but they can be problematic because, um, you know, they, they, they work by, by putting copper, you know, in your uterus and, um, some women end up with copper toxicity and you can balance that if you take a zinc supplement as well. But a lot of, you know, health practitioners don't, don't talk about that. And even if you do, I'm not certain that it, you know, that it's, that it's perfect. And it's also, you know, the IUD, if you tend to have like cramps, you know, if you struggle with that, it can, it can make them worse. So there is that. And then there's, um, well, that's about it. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, in terms of like things to do, right. There's also the fertility awareness method, which is, you know, where you track when you're ovulating and when you're not, and you, um, you, you learn, you learn when you're not fertile and then you can, 
pretty safely have sex. Although for a lot of women, like that's just not enough. Like even knowing that it's still like, well, okay. Right. It's just, it's actually just like pulling out, which is technically so far as scientists can tell a really safe method of birth control, but for, for it just, it doesn't feel all that safe. Right. Like, <laughs> like there's, there's something inside of me. And so I, <laughs> what it feels kind of high school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, total. Well, you know, and, and everybody gets to make choices as an adult, you know, and to do, to do what they think is best. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's funny because it's pregnancy is, is such an issue that the best way to do it, you know, the best way to do it is, is to, is to do two birth control methods, you know, which is, which is tough and, Nobody really loves prophylactics, you know, and sponges can be really great, you know, like spermicide and diaphragms, but spermicide can burn, you know, like some women get, you know, irritated by it. And, um, and so they can, you know, they can be unpleasant for women, prophylactic measures, but also then you have men and they're like, I would really like to do it without a condom. And you're like, it's not your body. (laughs) Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very, it's very tricky. I, so like I said, big old fan of, uh, vasectomies. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, literally I mean, that's, that's it uh, in terms of natural birth control. Like that's it. You you can get, you could personally, you can get your tubes tied. Right. But then you want to be pretty sure that's what you want. Um, and there are like, there are pretty low dose, you know, birth control options. And I think they work for some women. Like a lot of women don't have hormones. Like it's such a like complete hot mess, freaked out, can't tolerate any kind of instability like I have. So, um, so it, it really depends on your situation. You know, some women do birth control. Okay. Some do it great, you know, and some really can't handle it. And it probably also makes a difference how long you, you do it. And I think nowadays that girls are having you know, their first sexual experience so young and they stay on birth control till they're 40, you know, it's like too much all at once. Definitely. I, yeah, I I talk with a lot of women who tell me that they got them. Like I always ask, like if, if a woman finds my email address somewhere online, I'm I'm pretty good at hiding it these days. But if, um, if a woman uh, gets in contact with me and I'm always, always happy to talk, um, very often, like if, if a woman has problems with birth control, she's like, well, I I did, you know, I started the pill when I was 17. Um, that isn't to say you won't, you can't have problems if you start it later. You definitely can. But I do think that there's something about, um, you know, stepping in and starting that before, you know, before puberty and adolescence is over. And we also start dieting when we're like 10 or 11. So (laughs) it's like a perfect storm. Mm -hmm. What were you going to say? Yeah, I, I, I always refer people to taking charge of your fertility for family awareness or fertility awareness method. I think that is the long and the short of it is there's never a one size fits all approach to this stuff, but, um, but that's at least a really good way to get in touch with your cycles and your body. And depending on your situation, it gives you a lot of good information. So I I like that, but have a baby for the last couple of years and, and I've got Mary's book that she recommends. And, you know, it's so amazing because, like, when you start to notice your cycles, you have a whole new understanding and awareness of your body. And you're like, oh, well, you know, you can tell when things are going to happen. And, and I think as young 
as a younger woman, I had no clue about anything about my body. And it was just like, duh, like your, your body's trying to tell you what's going on, but you don't, you don't want to know about it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, we wanted to ask too, what your advice, Stephanie, is on how women can become more tuned to their bodies and their cycles. What do you recommend? Um, well, so all of the fertility awareness things are, you know, those are the things to go to. Um, and you can buy thermometers. The thing, <laughs> the thing about tracking your body temperature is you have to take it like at the exact same time every morning. And I like as a, as a personal health, like, you know, manifesto <laughs> thing, I refuse to <laughs> ever, ever set an alarm. So, um, so I don't do that. Um, you know, uh, a, a lot of women are really good about it, but you just like, you kind of learn to pay attention. Um, mm-hmm. uh, like when you ovulate, most women will experience like a, a pretty like serious increase in volume of vaginal discharge. Um, you'll, and you'll experience your sex drive rise probably. And ovulation technically lasts, you know, about 36 hours or between, you know, 24 and 48 hours. And, um, you know, sperm can survive in, inside the vagina for a while because they're, you know, sneaky little buggers. So, um, if you're, you're going to be fertile, a little, you're going to be fertile a few days, you know, several days before you ovulate and then several days after, cause your eggs will stick around too. Um, but so yeah, like the, the discharge and the, and the sex drive is a big indicator. Um, and then, you know, if you also want to like, uh, get intimate with your cervix, it will, it will change in texture and location when you ovulate. Um, so if you like, I don't know, make a daily practice of st- sticking your fingers up your vagina, you'll probably, uh, learn what that's like. Um, and I mean, so those are ways to kind of like really know when you're ovulating, you know, but, um, it's like keeping a calendar, you know, knowing, having, if you're regular, right. It's, a lot of women aren't, you know, but if you're regular, like knowing when you're, when your cycle's coming and then you can sort of, you know, tie your symptoms to your cycle. And I, you know, personally, I am experiencing a fair number of hormonal symptoms now that, um, you know, I've got my fertility back and my body's kind of like, Whoa, like what you doing? You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, <laughs> this is the first time you're ovulating regularly in your entire life. And, uh, I remember the first period I had after I was, you know, I was infertile for four years. I didn't menstruate for four years. And then the first period I had was like the, you know, the fury of 48 months missed of ovulation, oh, you know? Yes. So, um, and so, but, you know, personally, like, um, I gained like a whole, a whole like size, you know, my cup size increases by a whole size. My pant size increases by a whole size when I menstruate, you know, like all these sorts of different things. It's different for every woman, but you know, you just, you, you keep your ears and your eyes open. And, um, if you, if you pinch your fat every morning, then you all, you, you notice that too. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that, that book does take in charge of your fertility author talks about mucus and, you know, charting body temperatures. And eventually you're right. You, you do become attuned to those physical changes and emotional as well. So I want to know what are some things that, well, it's two parts, but, uh, the first part is like, how can women get, like when it comes time to, to get intimate or, you know, your, your partner wants to do that. How do you like psych yourself up for it? 
and get yourself in the mood if you know it's really the last thing you want to do <laughs> such a good question um i can't tell you to like go eat a bag of oysters i promise you that won't help <laughs> like it's just you know like one of those, like one of those libido boosting foods you know or like a bag of chocolate like don't um yeah <laughs> i uh well i i uh <laughs> I could recommend going dancing for three hours. That's what I do. Um, <laughs> what can you do? Um, I, it's, it's, it's so much a matter of where you are mentally, right? Like that, that really is it. Like the nutritional thing is a day to day, like every day I have to work on hormone balance kind of thing. But then, you know, interpersonally it's, it's, it's an emotional matter. And, you I, you can also kind of learn like how your desires for romance and sex change throughout your cycle. And you can explain that to your partners, you know, like, look at, you know, September 7th you through the 13th, like, I'm not going to really want to have sex that much. I'm, you know, I'm really sorry. You know, I'll maybe, you know, I can maybe do some stuff to you while you're watching TV, but I'm not, like, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not going to be like totally down to, to, you know, spend hours and hours in the bedroom. And, and hopefully, you know, hopefully that's okay. You can't help it. Right. That's, that's your body. And, um, and that's the way it is. And then I will say, I will say that, you know, even when, um, you'll, you know, you'll recall that I said that I used to be very, you know, sexually voracious. I had a big appetite and then I lost it completely. So completely like sex was like, even thinking about it, it like disgusted me. Like I, I saw people kissing in movies and on the street and I was like, Oh, gross. I, I literally, I, I felt like I was in second grade. I was like, Oh, um, <laughs> And, uh, but even then, like when I, when I like really, like really got myself psyched about, you know, being a sexual human being or being interested in a certain human being, like it worked, right? Like it, it came, it, it wasn't something like I wasn't, I never walked down the street and wanted to like jump on people like, uh, like I, like I do sometimes when I'm hormonally healthy, but, um, but I could, I could summon it, you know, when I, when I, when I really wanted to. And, um, it's just, it, it, it takes a matter of like, God, you really have to trust the people you're with. I mean, even if they're strangers, you know, like going home with a stranger, whatever, like you have to, you have to just know that, that the people that you're with, like, you know, that they appreciate you, that they value you. You can't like, you can't be ashamed of your body. You can't want to like hide in bed, you know, like so many women, so many women will go into the bedroom and like, you know, want to wear kind of lingerie, lingerie that will like hide their stomach or something. It's like, no, like, don't, you know, like nobody, when you're, nobody, when you're having sex is, is particular about like, you know, your eight pack, like when you're having <laughs> sex, people, people are particular about like connection and, and being close to you and how you can make each other feel, you know, it's not, it's not about your, your nitpicky body insecurity. So you just, you gotta, you gotta learn to trust that over time. And I know it's not easy, but that like, that is so important for being a sexual human being. Well, you also have to make sure that your partner, I mean, it really loves or cares about you for you, accepts you for you. And yeah, I mean, so many people are in relationships or not even relationships, but you know, that it's probably not going to be fulfilling. Yeah. I think, you know, anyone, even if you don't have a relationship, your relationship with your body, your feeling sexual 
confident is something that you cultivate on your own and that you don't depend on someone else to. But uh, certainly it is important to, you know, and then different strokes for different folks, but it is important, you know, to foster that connectivity together. And that will look differently for every person, I think. And, you know, again, with this stuff, it's never a one-size-fits-all approach. Yeah, I um, yeah, I've been single for for several years now, and I anticipate being single for quite some time to come. Um, and it's uh, I think uh, you know, perhaps the most obvious. It's just it's different for every woman, but I think the perhaps the most obvious way to distinguish is that being single is a much more volatile, much more volatile country. You know, um, like certain romantic partners come and go in my life, and I. I interact with people on the street in a way that's like, there's, there's like potential between us. Right. And, and when you're married, you don't, you don't, right. Like, at least I, I assume you don't really do that so much. Right. You kind of like, you know, you, you shut off the, the, the romantic interest with other people. Um, at least if you're married in a monogamous commitment kind of way. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And I, I do like, it's, it's funny, like you have to, you have to cultivate this for yourself. And, um, again, with, with people who are married or in serious relationships, like you can, you like, you do that with your partner, I think in a way, right. Cause you do every, you do so many things with your partner. Like you have to do it by yourself, but there's a big component of working on that together. And then when you're single, like you don't, you don't do that. And, um, you get exposed to, um, you know, different interactions and relationships all the time that can, um, teach you about how you think about yourself, um, in a different way than if you're married. And so, I don't know, like, I, I appreciate it. There's, there's a, there's a certain, uh, beauty to the challenge of, of both ways of living. But back to the tips, I mean, I think we need some practical tips about what people can do to, to really get into the mood. Um, is there anything you've found, like, that can help you you know release the stress of the day and and rev up the sex drive just you know when you don't have a lot of time to get into the mood hmm i mean i I could come up with some recommendations that i think other people might like um i like i said like i said i dance like that's that's my thing that's what i do so um well that could be something somebody could do you know in the in the oh my goodness yeah you know I can imagine like putting on like a slow jazz song and dancing with your partner in the kitchen. Like that, that sounds really nice to me, you know? Um, but music, music's a big part of it too, about, uh, you know, music, music and dancing can both be good things to start with. I think, I think that's a really good point. And I would say in the issue of music, like don't, don't try and find like find the thing that is like supposed to make you feel sexy, but like find something that fits with your soul. You know, like there's a huge landscape of music out there, right? And and like we you know we've all got stuff that that works for us. And when it speaks to you and who you are and how you like to be, you know, like to be and like to be as a sexual being, like you know, find something like that. And and I think I think that's really great. I think something quick like. Uh, uh, taking a quick, you know, shower or, um, <laughs> brushing your teeth, like literally anything to sort of like cultivate a sense of like, yeah, you know, like, look at me. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm worthy and I'm sexual and I'm, and I'm, you know, 
pretty or whatever, you know, what have you, you know, um, you know, throw on your sexy underwear or whatever, you know, like all of these different things that sort of anything that can make you feel good. Oh, here's a good one. If you have like a little bit of time, do a really hard sprint workout, you know, like, (laughs) well, I'm serious because like very few things elevate, you know, your happy neurotransmitters as well as that. And that can like, I can really like give you the like mental and emotional push you need to, to feel like to have enough energy and enough love in your system to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we're, we're kind of coming to the end of our time, but I, I also want to talk about the orgasm issue too, is so many women, you know, have trouble reaching orgasm or climaxing. And I think that coming to the climax of our program at the end here isn't necessarily, we can spend a lot of time talking about this, but do you have any tips for women who have trouble reaching orgasm aside from the hormone balance issue, which is huge there too? Whoa. Hell yeah, I do. I, (laughs) do you have five hours? Um, (laughs) well, I really, I mean, I could, I would just say again that like, if a woman is distracted in the bedroom by anything, it's going to be hard to orgasm, like period. So you can't be distracted by like, you know, negative thoughts about yourself. You can't be distracted by negative thoughts about your partner. You can't be worrying about tomorrow, like stress, right? Like you literally, like you have to be there. Like you have to be present in that moment with your partner or it's just like, that's I, obviously that's my personal experience, but you know, I do, I do talk with women about this on a regular basis. And, and so I, I have a feeling that that's common, you know, like you have to be present and you, you can't be worried and dear God, please, please don't think your vagina is nasty. Like if, if, (laughs) wow, I'm serious. Like girls, like I just, I remember being a young girl, so young, so young and feeling like, like I, like my privates were like so gross. Right. You know, and knowing that I was like, that I needed to shave, like that I needed to shave my vulva when I was 12 years old. Right. Like, Knowing that and having boys make jokes about like, you know, how vaginas smell or taste and whatever, like, it's just, it's, it's, it's wrong. All right. It's wrong. Like it's just plain wrong. And I literally, I think that's, I think that's one of the biggest issues about women's sexuality is that like, we don't, we personally have all this fear about how men, you know, or, you know, other women. All right. It's different when you're with other women because you know, they're like you and they have the same body. So it's fine. So it's mostly men like that. We have this fear that, that men are going to react negatively or not want us or not desire that part of our body, which is, you know, silly because they want to put other things, you know, there. And so, um, I, some men are really bad about that and, and, and they don't respect and love like the entirety of women's bodies. And that for me is really heartbreaking. Um, because it makes it even harder for women to love it themselves. But I, I, I think that that is so important. Like your body is a natural body and it's every bit as worthy of all the kind of sexual attention that a man, you know, gets and wants and deserves. And, um, you know, and then of course about orgasms, it's all about trust. And I could talk to you about, you know, the shape of your clitoris and all these different spots that you like, you know, should touch and how and whatnot, but it was maybe another time. Right. So, you know, there, there are books you can read for that. So I, I, don't, I, don't, need to, I don't need to tell you that much. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, I think, I think the part about like really loving your body and working on your, working with your partner on how to like, you know, have trust and acceptance between each other. Like I, God, that's just, it's enormous. That is a big thing. And, um, but I think, like you said, if you're distracted, that's why I was talking about, like, you have to calm the stress down before you can Mm -hmm. start to feel those good hormones and all that you can't you can't just switch from you know driving through rush hour traffic to you know awesome orgasms in five seconds so just that's not how women are and that's why i was trying to you have to really like and it it talks about the the regulation of the of the cortisol like you have to turn down the lights and get away from the computers and the iphones and um you have to you know, maybe get out some of the tension in your back and, you know, things like that. Just, you you have to switch gears or else it's not going to (laughs) happen. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, we had a couple, we had one Facebook question. We we have two Facebook questions, but I don't know if we have enough time, but I'll do one. We have, um, this one's kind of about, uh, so this person has been wondering if baby boys fed soy formula grow up to have small penises it seems to be an epidemic out there huh what an interesting question i have to be honest with you i have no idea (laughs) um i would to be honest with you if i heard that i wouldn't be if i like saw that that was proven in a study I, i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised, right? Like testosterone is a part of male development, just as estrogen is a part of female development. Um, but on the other hand, like, I mean, the far and away, the biggest component is just genetics, you know? So, um, I don't, I, I do not have a good answer for that. It's an interesting question though. Yeah. I think that's more linked to gynecomastia or man boobs, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. but who knows? <laughs> there might be uh, some constituent there. Yeah, and any—I mean, anything that's going to stunt your growth at all, you know, may, may will play a factor. So, of all the things in our diet and lifestyle choices that stunt growth can can be an impact. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um. And one last question: Any good moves for that we should practice? This is another Facebook question. From Carol, any good moves we should practice in the bedroom for amazing sex? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, is she asking me what my favorite sexual positions are? Yeah. No, is that what she's asking? <laughs> I guess. Oh my god. Um. All right. No. Okay. I will say this. Um. God, I love podcasts. Um. <laughs> women tend to. Uh, orgasm a lot better when there's uh, clitoris contact in any way when you're um, having intercourse with a man. And so um, if you're on in any of the positions on top, you have, uh, you have a lot more friction there and you also, you have a lot more control over, you know, how much friction you can have. And so that can be a really, um, really good position. You know, all of the ones in which women are on top, you know, forward, backward, like kind of twisted this way, right? The missionary, straight up missionary is great. It's a wonderful sexual position. Like it's very natural. It works for men and for women. So, you know, it, get the basics down first before you try doing sexual Olympics. Like you don't need to do the upside down wheelbarrow in order to have an orgasm. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
You do the Samantha swing. Remember that on Sex in the City? <laughs> um, also, like, uh, also, if you can, there are, like, some ways you can have sex kind of on the side, right? And that way you and or your partner have access to your clitoris, which can be, you know, which can be a really big help. Um, and I, I think those are, like, two broad umbrellas I'm going to throw out there to, like, you know, <laughs> you can go read a little bit more about the specifics. Um, but I, I Yeah.
Yeah, you have to practice. I mean, honestly, masturbating is the best way to learn what turns you on and what works for you. So that's oh my god. That can be your homework outside partner work. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't say that. I'm so ashamed of myself. Yeah, you should, you should be <laughs> you should be touching your clitoris every day. No, I um seriously, it's your body. Like it's a natural thing. There's not a single thing in the world wrong and uh and and you're totally right. Like just just figure out what kind of works. And if you know, you you might suck at it and your partner might suck at it, right? But like that's what life and communicating and love is all about, right? Like figuring things out. So just give yourself time and figure it out. <laughs> That's oh, nice. and um, if, if you're like really interested in this stuff, I think the best, like the best guide to um, sex, like like the big, the tome guide to sex is called The Guide to Getting It On by a man named Paul Joannides. Huh. Um, yeah, I highly recommend it. I Perfect. have several dog-eared copies. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so Stephanie, we're so glad you could join us and we're excited about your upcoming book. So tell us about it and where people can find you and all that. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I do have a book coming out. It'll be out on March 18th and it is of course, um, available for pre-order on Amazon because the Victory Belt team is awesome. Um, Victory Belt being the publishing company. Yeah. The book is called uh, Sexy by Nature, The Whole Food Solution to Radiant Health, Lifelong Sex Appeal, and Soaring Confidence. And it's sort of, uh, it's my manifesto for just about everything that we talked about today, more or less. You know, I the middle chapters are all about diet and lifestyle and, and the ways in which, um, and also there's a huge section, the biggest section of the book is all about female-specific health issues, you know, PMS, infertility, you know, hormonal acne, all that stuff, right. And how to overcome them. So the middle chapters are like very much about how to nourish your, your natural body and turn it into, you know, this like healthy powerhouse of sorts. And then the bookmarks, you know, the, the beginning and end chapters are all about, you know, how to think about and relate to your body and, and how to be confident and how to strut and how to be fearless and, and to love your skin. And it's, you know, it's a journey and it's tough, but you know, we walk it because we must, and it's also kind of really awesome. So, um, I really, I love this book. It's, it's my favorite thing that I've ever, um, done in my life and sacrificed my adrenal health for. So uh, <laughs> yeah, if you want to take a look, I, I'd be really honored. And if you want to like, you know, website now, uh, yeah, I'm at paleoforwomen.com. Pretty simple. And that's also my, my Facebook and Twitter handle paleo for women. Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much, Stephanie. This was a great podcast full of awesome tips, and we really are grateful for you for joining us. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Good. Well, hope to see you soon, maybe at Paleo FX or something. Oh, yes. Um, So get excited about our upcoming guests. We have the Paleo Mom coming on, and Karen Sorensen is going to be talking about egg-free cooking Okay, thanks so much for joining us. Leave us a review on iTunes so we can reach more people. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.